0: It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP podcast time. What's up, Talk LP news fans? It is podcast time. I'm Amber Bradley, your host. We are stoked to welcome a special guest, Damon Cavison, Corporate Director of Asset Protection for Spartan Nash. What's up?
1: Hey, how are you?
0: <laughs> Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we were just chatting it up about Apex and how how stoked we are that hopefully you'll be back for Apex this year, Apex Grocery. Um, okay. So for the audience, people who don't know you and your background and maybe a little bit about what you're doing at Spartan Ash, uh, throwing it over to you.
1: Great. Uh, thanks again for having me. It's really nice to be here and hello to everyone listening. So Uh, As as Amber said, uh, I'm Damon Cavison. I'm currently the uh, Corporate Director of Asset Protection for Spartan Ash. And so, um, you know, I've been in that role for about eight years. And uh, for those of you you who who may not know or be familiar with Spartan Ash, um, we're a food solutions company. Okay. So Spartan Ash, primarily a food wholesale distributor to about 2,000, a little over 2,000 independent uh, retailers. We also own and operate about 145 uh, corporate grocery stores. Um, And then we also um, distribute to uh, military commissaries and exchanges. So really cool uh, business model. And so I oversee asset protection for the enterprise. And so that's both our loss prevention, asset protection services for retail, as well as our supply chain security and corporate security initiatives. Um, Prior to that, I spent 18 uh, years at Target. Um, which is really where I I cut my teeth in the asset protection and loss prevention field. Um, I held quite a few roles there in single store, multi-store district field roles and ended up uh, in Minneapolis, uh, where Target is based uh, back in 2007, and spent a number of years there in in various corporate roles. So um, yeah, that's uh, really a little bit about my background and and, uh, where I'm at today. So Thanks.
0: Well, that's really cool um, to explain the business model of Spartan Ash. I'm not sure many people knew that. I know I knew about the grocery store part, but didn't about the distributor part. So talk a little bit about that. I think the intricacies of that, especially what has been going on with supply chain issues and things like that. And maybe I'm just gone, but, but Talk a little bit about your role and the complexities of being a distributor. I mean, is is food safety super high on your priority list, or has the supply chain crunch really, you know, made it challenging for you guys? Or talk a little bit about that environment.
1: Sure. No, it's a great question. So, you know, when you when you look at the supply chain side of of the business as it relates to to my team, certainly, you know, the the labor you know concerns that have impacted everybody in every industry. Um, have played a role and then the labor shortages that are happening at our suppliers right i mean and it it just it goes back from there and that's what's what's gumming up or i think backing up and causing a lot of issues with with the supply chain but when you look at from you know a security perspective i think regardless you know what the current environment is like related to you know labor shortages and supply chain you know concerns it's really it's the same you know it's we still have an obligation to you know, protect our associates, um, to protect our customers. I think one of the cool things I would highlight that we do at Spartan Ash, as I mentioned, you know, we distribute food, uh, to just over 2000 independent retailers, but those independent retailers, many of them have, you know, they don't have resources like a large company does. And so, you know, they can, they can reach out, you know, to my team, you know, whether through their uh, sales account managers or directly my team. Um, and we actually provide quite a few services for our independent retailers in the form of, Loss prevention, right? In their retail stores, we assist with investigations. Uh, From time to time, we do a lot of assessments of risk and shrink in their locations, and provide them with solutions uh, to get better. So it's really cool aspect of the business that a lot of people probably don't realize.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. So, what is your team made up of at Spartan Ash? Then to be able to handle, you know, because look, I feel like grocery is so complicated. You know, when you think about the food waste mixed with internal theft, mixed with external theft, mixed with operational shrink, right? I mean, it is, it is a bear when it comes to uh, even just managing the shrink of those 140 plus stores on the grocery side, but then you're dealing with helping all these other banners. Um, How does that work with your team?
1: Yeah. So um, I've got a great team of last prevention, you know, and asset protection professionals at retail, um, you know, we've got it broken out by region, so I have a series of managers, uh, you know, who oversee regions, and then they have a series of investigators that report to them, and then getting down to the granular, you know, non-exempt level, or, you know, store detective, or, or what we're actually reclassifying here shortly as retail crime investigators, um, reporting up through those individuals, right, so that's the, the main structure at retail, and so depending on the region of where my team's working at, and where the independents are located, that, that are asking for services or needing help, that's how we'll, you know, geographically kind of compartmentalize it. Um, But then those managers are really responsible for, uh, you know, managing their time and resources appropriately to take care of our corporate stores, but at the same time to also react and and respond and support our uh, independents who are asking for help. So,
0: yeah, that's interesting. You think about the skill set needed. I mean, and as the leader there, talk a little bit about that um, skill set too. I mean, because not only do they have to know the smart Nash operation, I mean, you're also talking about coming into and assessing probably pretty quickly what's going on. It's because it's not, it'd probably be unlikely to think that all of your team knows everything about these 2000 other stores Right. right when they walk in the door. Right. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think the importance of being able to assess an operation quickly to understand, okay, here's, here's what could be killing them, you know, first.
1: Sure. Um, So, I mean, I think if you're looking at, you know, my team overall, you know, whether you're a manager or you're, you're, you're part of the investigator group, you know, first and foremost is, is soft skills and leadership, right? Like, I don't want to discount that. I mean, you have to be, I think, a really effective communicator, um, and you have to be a great listener. So to your point about, yeah, maybe you don't know everything there is to know about all of these different independents. They all operate a little differently. There are nuances to their business. But if you're an effective communicator and you're walking into that location, maybe for the first time, you're meeting people for the first time, introducing yourself, talking a little bit about what you do and how you want to help them, and then you just start to ask questions about their business. And then you have to, I mean, listen, right? It sounds really basic, but I'm I'm talking like really listen. Jot down notes and, and then from there, as they're responding, I think you start to develop kind of a framework of, okay, identifying the problems, right? And then that's where this next piece comes in that i am talk about is, I do think you have to have a really uh, a good mindset and very adept at data analysis, right? I mean, I think any good investigator is gonna be, is gonna be good at data analysis. Um, Because that's what you're doing when you're investing, right? You're analyzing facts, you're pulling data from multiple sources, you're you're synthesizing all of that. And so that's what my team has to do, you know, when they're assessing whether it's a corporate store or an independent, right? They're leveraging those skill sets of soft skill leadership, communication, listening and data analysis to make that happen.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. When you say data, and I always like to get a little granular, you know, um, what does that look like for you? Is it, is it being able to, uh, to take all of these disparate systems that you have in a grocery store, right? So whether it's exception reporting, it's CCTV, it's you know whatever other things you have implemented there and putting it together to create a story of what's going on. I mean, is that what you would say?
1: Yeah, absolutely, really. Um, I'll tell you on an annual basis, my team at retail in particular, you know, because we're, our, our team is relatively small, I would say, in the grand scheme of what you might find at an average retailer. Um, you know, when you look at the retail side of the business, uh, you know, from an exempt perspective, uh, I've got, you know, a dozen, maybe 15 people, right? And so it's not a lot. So what we really do is we take a kind of 30,000 foot look every year at the beginning of the year, and you, you mentioned shrink. And so we look at shrink specifically, and we say, look, we know that we can't conceivably impact, shrink the way that we want in all hundred and, you know, forty plus stores, but you know what, let's kind of take this subset where we think that there's a lot of room for improve, improvement uh, and let's focus on that. And so that's where that data analytics kicks in. And so, you know, we're working with our leadership partners and finance and you know we're, we're peeling the onion back on these locations that we identify and trying to figure out even further, all right, we know there's shrink opportunities, They're higher than average, or they're not meeting goal, et cetera. So let's pull, you know, again peel the onion back further to figure out what are those specific departments that need to be focused on. What are some of the causes of shrink in those areas? And then, I mean, it gets I don't want to get too granular, but it gets further from there, right? Where we really start to we will engage, you know, some integrators and some partners, and and start to ask for advice, feedback, uh, and then we develop specific action plans, and then we execute tactics to improve shrink. So.
0: Yeah, that's cool that you lay that out, because I mean, I think sometimes, um, especially those that might be new to a director role or something like that in leadership, where it's like, okay, how do you eat an elephant, right? It's like you yeah. you back into some of these things that are like, okay, this is the process, basically go through the process, and you're going to get to success as long as you're doing the right things. And And that kind of leads me to your take on like, Life, leadership lessons. I mean, clearly you've proven after you come up the ranks in Target, right? That 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 is a big organization. You were there for a long time, that you know, you have life and leadership abilities to be able to navigate the politics, but then also come and manage a team um, in grocery that, you know, yeah, Target has a little grocery, but is also retail. So so you think about the complexities of learning and stepping into that role. Talk a little bit about those leadership lessons you live by you know whether it's life or um you know just things that have stuck with you your career
1: yeah that's a that's a great question thanks for asking that i i will tell you the one thing that just rings true and i don't want this to sound cliche because i know people have heard it before right but it is so true from my perspective and it's that whole um, thought process that, you know, people really don't care how much, you know, right until they know how much you care. Yeah, I and love so that. I, I think it's just such a, you know, you could call it maybe it's a golden rule kind of thing. It all is intertwined, but I just can't think of a time where, you know, at least me personally made some kind of a progress in my leadership or professional development where that wasn't at play or where that didn't, you know, that th- that didn't cause me to grow. Right. And so Um, you know, going back to, you know, my time at Target, which was great. And I had multiple different roles and, you know, great mentors along the way too. Um, You know, when you treat, when you treat people really well, when you get to know them and they know that you care about you, I mean, people, they'll go through walls for you. Right. And so I don't think anybody is where they're at today because solely because of all of their own personal efforts, right? There are other people that are working behind the scenes. And I do think that, Getting to know folks and making sure that they know that you care, building a great team around you, that's that's going to help you succeed in whatever you do. So that would be number one. And then I would tell you, number two is, and this is, you know, I, I've heard similar things in the past. But this is kind of my take on it. Is honestly, I do not believe that there is any significant reward that anyone will ever get without taking a little bit of risk. Right. And so that's more of a life kind of lesson that I've learned and because I again I think back to any and I'm talking significant right like a big you know a a reward if you will Um, whether that's a promotion or it's a a relationship or something like that right I mean typically you had to take a little bit of risk whether and maybe that risk was you had to relocate to a new area right and you had to move your family I mean those are that's a big risk that you're taking right um, I look back at, you know, I met my wife at at Target actually, and we worked in the same office. And I had, you know, it's silly, but I had to take a little bit of a risk to kind of say, "Hey, what are you what are you doing later?" Yeah. You know, and <laughs> and and so then all like 18 years later, you know, here we are with a couple kids and you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and not where we started by any means, right? But that took some risk. And so I, I always encourage people, you know, that I'm mentoring, or even my team as I'm talking to, you know, to them, I, I'm always encouraging them to, you know, don't be afraid to take a little bit of risk, even if it feels uncomfortable, it's a, you know, make sure it's calculated, don't just, you know, jump off of a, yeah. up here, just blindfold, assume it's going to work, but think about it, but don't be afraid to take those kinds of risks that are going to, Ex, you know um, excel uh, you in your career or even in your personal life or whatever it is
0: no that's a great one that's that's like the getting comfortable with being uncomfortable right and it's so hard especially when you're young and you feel a little insecure but I think the millennials are kind of getting ahead of us on that right because it's so now it's like all the rage to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and mm-hmm. it's like back when we were growing up in our careers it was like you know, you grin and bear it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
0: So all you millennials, you have it a little easier on the whole, Uh, on on the the vulnerability side being okay. But um,
1: for sure,
0: which is a perfect segue into one of my most favorite questions that I always ask, which is, you know, if you had to look back at, you know, a 25 year old Damon, like what, what would you tell your younger self? And maybe it's like, Everything was great. Right. But I always think about lessons that you're like, man, I wish I would have known. What are those for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind, I think I would have told, I would have told my 25 year old self to, to be, be patient or to be more patient. Um, I think that, you know, good things come to those who, who wait. I think that's an old adage that, that rings true. I think when I look at myself, you know, at at 25 or even right around that time frame, I was I was pretty impatient. I think with, you know, with with my career, with my development, with you know, um, just a lot of stuff. And then maybe that just has to do with, you know, just being 25 and not quite mature and what have you. But um, I, and I think the negative repercussion of that is you almost start to try too hard. And then there's a disingenuity, you know, that, that kind of comes with that, I think, um, even, whether it's intentional or not, I think it could be a perception. And so I know, again, I am looking you know, with the, the, you know, now that I've had time and you can think yeah. about this, right. In retrospect, you know, I think about the times that I have excelled or I felt really good about what I've been doing, whether it's, you know, projects or promotions or whatever. And those times, I think I've been pretty patient and I haven't worried too much at all about what's next. I've just really focused on what I'm what I'm doing now. I'm doing the best I can, um, and I think that's that's worked out pretty well. That's advice I would give anybody: is just be patient.
0: Yeah, and if you're a podcast a Talk LB podcast listener, you will know that that is a theme. I mean, a lot of executives like yourself they talk about that, and I, you know, it's one of those things where it's so hard because you're like. When you're young and you're a driver, you're like, I just want to get to the next thing, you know, but when you're our age, you look back and you're like, man, why wasn't I just, just relax, it's all going to come, you just have to be okay with where you are, Um, which is really interesting, you know, Uh, that's why I love doing this because you you hear all like, there's some, there's some key threads, right, that make for a happy life. And it's like one of those, one is definitely the patient's thing, which is so hard, but okay. What about, uh, best career advice that you ever received? And then we're going to go to the worst, but start with the best.
1: (laughs) Oh boy. Best career advice I ever received. Well, I think the best advice I ever received, quite honestly, is uh, people used to tell me this all the time, just be yourself, just be yourself. And I will tell you that back when I was 25, I wasn't so sure that was great advice because I was impatient. And every time I was myself, it didn't seem like a whole lot was happening. Right. (laughs) But, but again, in retrospect, I'm like, it's really about patience. It's just about, you know, focusing on the present and doing the best that you can. And so now I hear that and I get it. Right. And so again, I think at the end of the day, the best advice was just, just be myself. I mean, you, I think it, when you look introspectively at yourself, I think you, you, you innately know, you know, what you're good at, you know, and maybe what those opportunities are and you just try to mitigate those. Right. And just again, be yourself. I mean, everybody, I think there's, there's something that's really attractive about authenticity. Yeah. Right. And, um, and just being real. Right. And so if you are being yourself, I think you're, you're checking those two boxes. So great advice. Um, worst advice I ever got. Gosh, I have to tell you, Amber, (laughs) I don't know if anybody ever gave me bad advice. Not knowingly,
0: at least not knowing. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, (laughs) I've had some people in the past recommend you know, that I, that I look at some, you know, some roles that are like in other states across the country where I just was my head going like, okay, there might be some value there, but I'm not sure. Sure. That's a great move for me right now. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that that's necessarily bad advice, but that's really the only thing that kind of comes to mind.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You know, you think about trust that, that makes me think of what you're saying, like trusting your gut, you know, because yeah. there's people along the way, your career where you're like, you know, that person's solid. Like I, I will listen to them because they, you know, they have my best interest at heart and whatever, but even those people, like you're saying, can say, oh yeah, why don't you try this over here? And if you, I'm always one that's like, okay, what is, what's your gut telling you? You know, it's like, if there's so many times where you're like, man, if I just listened to my gut, it would have been, you know, an easier road maybe.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think a lot of us too, you know, you probably, you tend to validate some of that stuff, right? So if you get advisor feedback, it doesn't hurt to pick the phone up or, you know, say, hey, you know, uh, I got this feedback or like, what do you think? Yeah. You know, get get some impartial uh, uh, perspectives there before you go making uh, formal decisions.
0: Yeah, I think that sometimes when you're young, you think, and I did this for sure, man, is when you think that asking other people or getting the feedback or, Asking for that 360, you know, it seems weak. You're like, well, I shouldn't have to ask. I mean, that's weakness, right? I should know all of these things about myself. But that's another, when you think about leadership themes, right? It is so important. Even you mentioned the whole feedback thing. It's just important to get other people involved into your own personal development.
1: Yeah. Yep. Totally agree.
0: Okay. So This is one of my other favorites. (laughs) I only ask my favorite questions on this show. I can. Okay. So if you, (laughs) okay, so, so we'll wrap it up with these last two. Um, One, this is kind of like a PSA for any solution provider out there. Advice for solution providers trying to come and solve all your problems.
1: Oh, I tell you what. Kudos to you for asking that question, because sometimes I wish that solution providers would ask me that because yeah. Lord knows I want to tell them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, a, a couple of things. Right. So uh, I, I'll just give you, you know, my perspective. Right. My not speaking for anybody else, but any means. So I yeah. probably get on average four to five uh, pings whether that's phone email or whatever from solution providers every week mm-hmm. so you know multiply that times 52 weeks and then you know a lot of those solution providers they, they you know they just keep the, in the cycle right the rotation yeah. yeah so then you start to hear from them again and again and again not that that's bad I get it and you know I'm not a salesperson, and I haven't had a sales role in the past but I think I get I get it, you know, and what they're trying to accomplish. I think first and foremost, I would say, please, 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 if you could actually learn about, you know, my company and, and, and my job, number one, that would be really helpful. I cannot tell you how many times I get a a notification on LinkedIn or a cold call on the phone from a solution provider who wants to provide me a solution for something that isn't even part of what I do. Um, You know, sometimes there's a little bit of play on, on that, like, you know, in the safety space specifically, like my role specifically doesn't, doesn't play in the EHS or risk management space. We're very pure kind of security, but a lot of safety folks reach out, but then I'll have people, you know, in facilities management reach out and say, Hey, you know, we're we're developing this new tool to, you know, for, for asset management or we'll call out and ask about refrigeration. And I do the best I can to, to, to get them to the people, you know, with the company who probably help them, but if they would have just taken a minute to take a look at my actual LinkedIn profile before yeah. they reach, they, they know that this, I, I'm not the right guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think the other thing too, I would tell you is maybe try as a solution part, uh, a provider, try to understand what my business problems are before you, 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 you know, you start to uh, paddle, if you will, some solutions. Um, I've had a couple of conversations with solution providers who provide some. Um, you know, their software applications or uh, their, their, their data, right? The data notifications for like threats that are going on around the country, particularly globally, right? Which I think is super cool. And if I was, uh, you know, an LP leader at a company that had a global presence, <laughs> boy, that, that'd that be pretty cool, but, but I'm not. And so a lot of times they call and they're like, this is great. And I'm like, I agree. And they'll do a demo even because I'm interested. And I'm like, this is fantastic, but you know, it doesn't solve any problem I have right now. We're not a global, you know, per se, as far as we don't have a, f- a footprint uh, beyond, you know, help distribution of stuff to some commissaries uh, globally. And so, you know, that, I'm just using that as an example. Right? Nothing against yeah. those, you know, pr- providers yeah, of you have a great product. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing I would tell you is, from a solution provider perspective, or advice I'd have is, you know, I think being persistent is is okay. But I'd also encourage them to just be patient, right? So if a solution provider reaches out and, you know, via email, and I don't respond within a couple of days, it's not because you know I'm not going to. It's just you know my calendar is slammed, you know, and it's like that's not a key priority. So I think you have to be cautious too as a as a, uh, a service provider. I mean, if you're following up every couple of days, every three days, that's gonna it gets a little a little too much, and then it's almost a turnoff, you know, then they they almost don't want to call back. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love when you don't respond in a couple of days and the solution provider sends you a, like a nasty gram. They're like, so I guess you're not interested and you're willing to miss out on the blah, blah, blah. And you want to be like, well, now I am because don't take that tone with me over email. (laughs) You're like, are you serious right now? Like everyone's busy. Like what I don't understand is that when people are thinking that an email is like a text message, right, where they're, they're expecting an immediate response, and I'm still in the school of you've sent me a letter, you know, like right. I've gone to my mailbox, my mailbox happens to be on my computer, <laughs> so I'm opening your letter, and it's going to take me, I don't know, a few days to write you back sometimes, you know what yeah. I mean?
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, I would also add though, too, I mean, there are so many great solution providers out there and just really top notch people. And I would throw in that as a learning that I've had as you know, since I've been in a more senior, you know, asset protection role is it, it's hard to survive. I think without having a great solution provider integrator uh, on your side, you know, I think when you're in a store or multi-store a field position, you know typically those integrators and solution providers they're they're you know they're being shared with you by somebody else or so somebody else is doing the legwork at developing the solutions and then you're just executing right but as a at least in my role as a director that's not the case it's like I'm I'm seeking out the solution providers or they're seeking me out but it's like we're you know collectively making those decisions and then disseminating that for execution in the field so I think you got to have great solution providers out there I mean you know, again, I, you know, without saying names, there's a lot of great ones out there that, you know, that play in the, the you know, the data analytics, the, the, the point of sale data analytics space, the self-checkout, excuse me, AI space and stuff. And those are really important technologies that I think are really needed.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think that we've seen, and even at Apex last year, I mean, there's so much innovation <clears throat> around the self-checkout piece and being yeah. able to help, you know, the the labor there without them having to watch every single person, scan every single thing. It's really an innovative area for sure, especially with all this AI going on. Okay, Okay. if you weren't an LP executive, what career would you have?
1: (laughs) Okay, so maybe I'll frame it up in two ways. The career I would likely have had I'll say that. I mean the career that I think would be really cool to have had. Probably. Yeah. All right. So the, the, the career I think I likely would have had would probably been like a a mechanical engineering uh role. I, I can tell you that in in very early on in college, I you know just developed some proficiencies and I had a real strong um uh, like of uh, like drafting, like architectural drafting, things yeah. of that nature. and
0: The AutoCAD thing going yeah, on. That, yeah, it, yeah. It,
1: exa- Exactly. And and I was really interested in that. I actually was a pre-architecture major for the first couple of years before I switched to criminal justice. So my gut is just kind of that engineering type background. I probably would have done something to that effect. Well, um, cool. Yeah. I also had some law enforcement aspirations, you know, at that time. And so um, maybe something along that lines, but if, you know if it we're up to me I would I would have loved to have been a lead guitar player for an awesome like eighties hair metal band.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So you at Apex <laughs> then you were probably jamming with our 80s band upstairs because man I'll tell you
1: they were they, good. Uh, yeah were right
0: good. so do you play the guitar though?
1: I do. I'm very much an intermediate player though. I I I'm probably not good enough, you know, but again <laughs> You know, going back 25 years or so, who yeah. knows, right? You
0: never know. You could right. have been that in lights. Right. You got the name Kavison, right? How yeah. about that? It's rock yeah. star-ish. You never know, <laughs> right? Maybe when you retire, you could start an 80s cover band. That'd be there awesome. You go. There you
1: go. <laughs>
0: well, David, we really appreciate your time stepping into the Talk LP podcast hot seat. Thank you so much.
1: Of course. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, guys, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. You can always follow us at Let's Talk LP. Follow our LinkedIn group. We're posting all kinds of cool stuff there. And make sure you download the Talk LP news app. Latest breaking news headlines in the palm of your hand. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Damon. We'll talk to you guys soon.
1: See ya. Because no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Because no one can do it like we do it, like we do
0: it, like we do it.